0: Let's take out our Bibles now and turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 is where we'll be this evening. We've made our way all the way now through the book of Genesis and chapter 1 and find ourselves now firmly encamped in chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. They're going to switch over our my feed for me and we'll get this up on the screen. We'll be in verses 1 and 2, or 1 through 3 this evening of Genesis chapter 2. As you're turning there in the book of Genesis. First of all, I, I was just going to mention, it, I, I find, it, it's been a couple weeks since I've had a chance to do this with you and go through the Bible in this fashion, and I personally have found this way of teaching greatly beneficial. There's a few more, Joe, uh, handout papers here and up here, uh, if anybody needs some more. Uh, there are a few scattered around. I may have had my uh, three-year-old and five-year-old help me pass them out, so they may not be in their normal places, uh, But I I have found doing this way of teaching greatly beneficial for myself, not just on Wednesday nights, but even just in preparing sermons. I I found that my sermons have changed my preparation ever so slightly, even on Sundays, because of what we've been doing on Wednesdays. I really really enjoy what we're doing together. But as we're coming into chapter two, I want you to notice something with me that I hope will be helpful for us as we kind of introduce chapter two, and I want to... Before we get into the text of verses we're gonna look at, I want to address something that you probably maybe heard before. If you haven't, you will eventually. Many who come to the book of Genesis have a great difficulty with chapter one and chapter two. And many of the critics of the Bible, and a negative critic when I use that word, will say that Genesis one is completely contradicted by Genesis two. And so really, right at the beginning of the Bible, There are many critics, liberal critics, I should add, that have this discrepancy that they seem to find between Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Now, this supposed discrepancy is most often found within liberal theology, and really from liberal classrooms, but they'll say, well, chapter 1 is written by one author, this is the argument, chapter 1 is written by one author, And chapter 2 is written by a wholly different author. Someone else wrote Genesis chapter 2, then wrote Genesis chapter 1. How many have heard such an argument before? Okay, a few hands. Now, if you haven't heard it before, just for a moment, put your thinking caps on, and kind of, you can even scan ahead, why do you suppose they would come to that conclusion? Now, we don't agree with their conclusion, but why do you suppose they would make that argument? What's that? Go ahead. Yeah, I think both of you are saying, and you said the details, right? In, in chapter two, right? Yeah, so you're both saying basically one, you know, coming at it from the same, you're both saying the same thing. But, but basically they say, well, Genesis 1 gives us all the days of creation, and then Genesis 2 suddenly gives us another account of creation. And so they, it, it, they at least from a critic's point of view, they're going to say that, that, that thereby they contradict each other. Now how do I respond to that? Now in a moment... We're going to begin our exegesis of Genesis chapter 2, but I think it's wise for us to pause for a moment before we do so, and kind of address the criticisms before we get into the the meat of the word. How do I address that? Because it does appear, I mean it is not just an appearance, but it's definitely true, that there are more details in chapter 2 about creation's account than we find in chapter 1. What am I going to do with that? me help you out. Let me kind of settle your qualms as we get into it. If I just arose a lot of your concern, let me kind of tamp them back down for you. Genesis chapter 2 is different from Genesis chapter 1 in one chief perspective. Genesis chapter 2 now is going to focus on the jewel of God's creation. What is the jewel of God's creation? Man. So Genesis chapter 2 now is going to focus in full on God's account of his creation of man. It is not to say that it contradicts chapter one. Chapter one certainly talks about the creation of man, but chapter two now is gonna focus on in more detail, with more replete detail, how man himself came to creation. And this is a really important juxtaposition that you can say to those that would contradict. And they say, no, it's two creation accounts. No, it's not. It's not two creation accounts. Genesis one gives us kind of the full account Genesis 2 now zeroes in. You could say Genesis 1 is kind of the macro view of all of the creation of everything. Genesis 2 is now the micro view on man, if you can put it that way. Does that make sense? I hope that kind of counts. Now, with that in mind, I've boxed off verses 1 through 3. And there's a reason for that even there. And you can even see in the, in the scripture that we have on the screen, and some of you have other texts in front of you, they'll sometimes give you helpful headings, Like in this one, it says the seventh day God rested, and then in verse four, it has a heading above it. This is the creation of man and woman. Of course, those headings were not inspired, but neither are the chapter and verse divisions. And for that reason, many, including myself this evening, would say that I actually have kind of a beef with the chapter division we have in front of us. Because the beginning now of chapter two most evidently should fall under the end of chapter one if we were going to so divide things. Because even as you can see with that beginning note, that beginning heading, the seventh day, okay, well, this is part of the week of creation. Now, how many days did God create? Six, and on the seventh he rested. Now, that's probably why they put it over in chapter two. But if I were to... Go back, I don't know who came up with, you know, there's all kind of history on who came up with chapter and diverse divisions. I would just say, in this particular case, maybe some of the debate over two different authors and things may have been quelled well well in the past if we had just put this up with chapter one. All that to say, I hope that kind of helps you as we get into chapter two. I'm aware of the issues, and I hope you realize it's actually pretty simply answered. But let's get into the verses at hand, shall we? Let's begin by reading them, and then we'll explain them in full. Verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And again, you can see immediately there's definitely a connection here uh, back up to what we just have been reviewing beginning at the end of chapter 1. So thus, on the end, on the tail end of what we just said, the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We're going to do something unusual this evening as we kind of journal through this. We're going to do a broad overview, and then we're going to come back and do a more specific study. Let's do a broad overview to begin with. It says, thus the heavens and earth, and immediately says, thus the heavens and earth were finished. This should draw our attention, as I've already noted, to the descriptions of chapter 1. And this thus, that we've already kind of highlighted, is an explanation of the spoken word, of how God created. He did it thusly, we could say. He spoke the world into creation. Thus the heavens and earth were created, they were finished, and all, it says, and all the host of them, and all the host of them, you could say, this phrase, and all the host of them, is, is sometimes referred to as all the ornaments, is another way you could translate the host of them. You could say also, all, another, you know basically another way of saying it is all the furniture. <laughs> as one per, one uh, commentator I saw used this reference, all the furniture. What's he referring to? You know, all, all the stuff that dresses up the planet, basically. All, all, everything that's part of it. You know, the, the earth has been created, and the earth is now being to, to bud forth, and the plants are growing, and the offsprings. And so, all, thus, and, and because of this, all of this was created, and all the ornaments, all the furniture, all, all the other stuff. You know, we, we talked about how God created in classes and things, and everything that then permeated from the existence He's just pointing back to what we noted when we were looking at the days of creation, that when God created, he created everything he needed. Everything was there at the beginning of creation, everything. Things change over time, certainly. Uh, there, there are uh, different breeds and things of, I was talking to someone the other day about all the different kinds of blueberries. I can't remember who I was talking about. Oh, I was talking to Darren, Lewis, they were going blueberries. And I was reminiscing how I was, one of my first jobs in New England was Growing up, I worked at a just for a few summers with a guy that had blueberries. He had tons of blueberries, and I think he had almost a dozen different varieties of blueberries. And uh, he was very into all of them. And I remember there were all different kinds. Some of them were the normal ones you find in your store that are like the big kind of light blue ones, all the way down to the ones that grow up real tall and they're really small. They're almost black and they're, they're really sweet, they're better in pies, all the way down to the ones that are really kinda of in between those that are, grow real short to the ground, and you can actually pick them off with a rake, they're really easy, and then the other ones that you have to pick off one by one, and if you don't pick them off, they won't grow back the next year. And that was my job, was to pick off these little itty-bitty, and you can spend a whole day at one of those blueberry bushes and not be done yet. They are just so small. It is the most monotonous, boring, terrible job ever. But he paid a teenager well, right? I learned about all the hosts of them, right? I mean, there are blueberries, and there are... I I didn't even know there were all that kind of blueberries. I still don't know the full... uh, all of that. Some of you guys can get into all that. That's what he's referring to. Not only did God create everything, but he also furnished the world with everything that he needed for the world to continue to be replenished. And additional details, of course, about the creation of Adam and Eve will come and fill out the rest of chapter 2. But Genesis 2 begins with the account of Genesis 7. And so it says... Uh, or at, Not in the account of Genesis heaven, but begins with the account of day 7. And so he says, and on the seventh day. And I want you to kind of think of this word as terms of by the seventh day. And, and I'll, I'll fill that out fuller in just a moment. But that, that Hebrew word on could also be translated by... And I want you to note that, just for a moment, we're going to come back to this. I I mentioned we're going to kind of do a quick overview, and then we're going to come back and look at the specificity, but I want you to just think in your mind, because I'm going to ask this question later, and hopefully by asking it now, you'll be ready to answer with it later. There is something that is missing in the description of the seventh day that we have seen in all the other days. All the other days have them, and all of a sudden, in the description of the seventh day, it is absent And sometimes in the study of God's word, it can be neat to see some things that's been repeated, 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 and now it's gone. And you gotta find out. But don't give it to me yet. We're gonna save that thought, all right? We're gonna do something a little different this time. So save, save that thought for just a moment. But it says, on the seventh day, God finished his work, and I want you to immediately know that on that seventh day, as he finished his work, he did something. He rested. Now we know that God does not need rest. He is inexhaustible, He is external power, action, and energy. He continues to work and sustain the universe, but here God rests. And in that sense, God ends his work of creation from nothing. And at this point, creation, as it has now been made, is perfect. It is done. And the difficulties of creation, the thorns and the the briars and the troubles and the turmoil, All of that is not going to come till when? The fall, fall, which happens specifically on Genesis 3, verse 17. So at this point, everything is perfect. He has created a perfect world. If you can just think of it, just say roses without thorns, okay? Everything is perfect. That's what God does. And it does, he says something else, and I want you to notice some of these words. God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Now this is sometimes referred to as the Sabbath principle. Sometimes you've heard that expressed there or the day of rest. And this means that it's been declared to be something. It's declared to be holy. Now, God did not do this for his benefit. God does not dwell in the time-space continuum that we dwell in. God does not get tired as we get tired. So why did God create this? This is for us. This is now for man's benefit that this is done. And God says, God immediately when he did this, uh, he went ahead and he, of this day, he made it holy. No other day of creation has such a distinction. So There are things that are absent from the other ones. But the, ver- the mere fact that God now chooses to make this really, really important distinctor here is to set out something. None, no other day of creation has this. This is very significant. And a, and a deep study of the word holy can be done, then and, and you would understand that. This is a very unique day. But that's just a quick drive-by of verses 1 through 3. Let me dwell in on three things. Because there are three words at this point that I want us to focus in on that will will kind of take up the bulk of the rest of our time together, or at least I hope they will. And there are are three verbs used in this passage that that I want us to focus in on for the rest of our time. And here are the verbs that were used. I want us to focus on the word uh, that that he uses, the word finished. There's one we're gonna look at. I want us to focus on the word finished. Uh, the, the next word that he uses, the word rested, I want to focus in on that word as well, and I want us to then thirdly focus on the word blessed. Those are the three verbs I want us to focus on, and they really become our outline together this evening. Let's start with the word completed. Let's start with the word completed, and immediately as we start with the word completed, we could say, number one, or finished, we could say, God completed. There was something that God did that he now finished. Verses 1 and 2 indicate the uniqueness of the day by the fact that God finished something. And notice that he immediately repeats this. He finished it, and there's the word twice right away. So there's there's a highlight immediately, an emphasis, God finished something. It is clear by the language here that God completed the entire work of creation. This again is reiterating that creation was finished at the end of six literal days. So, at the end of all of the other days of creation, and we can go one by one through them as we already ventured to do, on each one of those, God's work is now done, He is finished. And as we noted before, that's why we say by, as we noted earlier. By. Now, at the end of the sixth day, he's done. When it gets to the word by, this is now, it's, it's done. All of this other stuff is done. How the universe came into existence is clearly told. It's finished in Genesis 1, and God created everything there is now, and he did it in 24-hour six days. By the way, if you have a question to the inerrancy and authority of Scripture in Genesis 1 and 2, we could say you are striking a blow against the integrity of the Word of God, and you are dishonoring the God who inspired it. God is saying, when when this happened, when these six days were happening, it was done. Was there anything else left undone at the days of creation? And he emphasizes it twice, right? He says... So ESV puts it, finished. Other translations will put, completed. Come with me to, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, just the word, verse right before it, and you can see exactly what's going on. It says, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was, and, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So there, there's a completed aspect to that. So you're really emphasizing on it. Yeah, I think it's not a mistake that he repeats something. When God, when God repeats a word, it's not for his learning, but for ours. He wants us to know that there's a completion there. God's final stamp of approval is now in the beginning of chapter 2. That's done. Everything is finished. Everything that he needs to do is completed. That's the first one. We won't spend as much time on it. We'll go to the, the next one here. Number two, not only did God um, complete something... But number two, we could say, I'm going to use a different color, actually. Number two, we could say that God rested. And we'll spend a little bit more time here on the next two. God rested. Three times in this text, it will tell us his work was done, his work was done, his work was done. Did you notice there? Let's go back to it, and we'll see it together. It says right away there, and his work all he was done is done, and he rested on the Sabbath day from all his work that he had done. This is what he has done. All of it is completed, all of his work that he had done. So this is God's resting. All of his work is done. There's, there's nothing else to be done. But the verb rested is very interesting in this text. It's a Hebrew word, and let me, let me kind of pull it up on the screen At least you can try to see it with me here. Uh, here, here's Here's the word that we're speaking of, the Hebrew word. And the word is not to imply by any means, and I'll zoom in on it a little bit. The word is not to imply by any means that there is weariness with God. God is not worn out from a tough week of work. When he's taking a rest, it's not like God took a nap. I guess when I, was a, when I was a child, I think that's my impression, right? Man, you know, God takes a nap. I think I picked it up from my dad more than anything. Because my dad, and he still says, that the third ordinance of a Baptist church, do you know what the third ordinance of a Baptist church is? It's a Sunday afternoon nap. And I always knew... That I, and I think, to this day, you can, you know, where is my dad at, you know, 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon? He's probably on the couch taking a nap, right? I, I think in my view, I was thinking, well, because my dad was a pastor, he was tired, he was preaching on Sunday morning, he needed to take a nap before he preached again on Sunday afternoon. I was thinking, well, you know, God must have gotten tired and he took a nap. That's, we, we can't come to that conclusion because that's not what the Bible says, is it? I mean, think of some of the verses, Isaiah 40, verse 28. He faints not, neither is weary. That's that's God. That is unchangeable. Psalm 121 verse 4 puts it even clearer. He doesn't slumber and he doesn't sleep. Got any other verses that kind of communicate that God doesn't get tired? You don't have to give me the references. Just give me the quotes. Other verses that come to mind? He's He's always faithful. What's that? He's never weary. He's never weary. So the the Hebrew word here that's being used does not mean no work. That's what's very unique about this word. It's not communicating that no work is done. There is, however, a negative and a positive aspect to this word. Let me come back to the screen so we can give ourselves some room. Because there is both a negative and a positive aspect to this word. Negatively, it does primarily mean not to do work. So it doesn't mean he's tired, but it does mean he does not work. All right, Does that make sense? So on the seventh day, it was not a a rest day to replenish his energy, as if to say, okay, I'm not going to work here because I'm tired, but it does mean at the same time he does rest from working. Do you understand the intricacy there? So there is an understanding. It's not that he's replenishing energy. It's not that kind of a rest. But there is a no work aspect. But positively, it, positively it refers to satisfaction. Because it refers to satisfaction positively or delight. This is really the response of God. This is actually kind of referring back to, if you want to get the delight point, it's referring back to chapter one, verse 31. When, when God looks down at everything that he's made and he delights in it. He sees everything that he made and it is very good. This is not unlike a, a, an artist, if you can imagine such a thing, as it takes me a little bit more imagination for this because I am not one, as you can see with my handwriting. Uh, to step back from their work, and to observe it, and to have kind of a, I like, you know, that looks good. That's kind of the, that's the, what's what that word would be communicating. If, if, a, if an artist were to step back from his work, put down his paintbrush, not work on his work anymore, stand back from it, and say, wow, this is beautiful. That's what's going on here. An important note here is that. So what is God doing when he's resting in this case? Just think about what God is doing. I mean, you, can take your, you can let your imagination run a little bit because that's what this word is communicating. What is God doing as he's resting here on the Sabbath? Enjoying he's enjoying his handiwork. I mean, there are things that he can see. These are, And, and why, why is he enjoying his handiwork? Why did God create? Revelation tells us in Revelation 4 verse 10, why did God create? All things were created for what purpose? For his glory. So as he's stepping back to observe his creation, what is he observing? He's observing his own glory. This is to be a reflection. Remember, this is pre-fall. So this is a reflection of his glory. So that means that in heaven, when we're all around the throne praising, he's probably
1: resting and enjoying.
0: That's exactly good. That is a wonderful point. So, and it is the right usage of that word. Laurie was saying, when we're in heaven one day, and we are around his throne, if I can repeat your words, just glorifying him, God would be on his throne, in that case, resting. What is he doing? He's enjoying his glory reflected back to him. And remember, it's important to know this is pre-fall, but this is still such a wonderful picture but there's also an important note, even as we get into this, that I think sometimes we can, and if we're not careful, we can do this in almost any context of Scripture, especially the more you study Scripture, the more you go, oh, that reminds me of, and then you jump to another passage. And I've I, I warned us about that even in the Gospel of Mark, right? Don't preach the Gospel of Matthew from the Gospel of Mark. I've said that before. You're in Mark right now. And I know that there are parallel passages, but Mark was written for a purpose. You might have read this, as I did, and think, I've read Sabbath verses before, right? I know that they're there, they're in Exodus. And so I'm gonna jump over there. But pause for a moment. There is nothing mentioned about the Sabbath in Genesis 2. You will not find it there. In fact, the word Sabbath is not found in any of Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. In fact, more than that, There is no mention at all of man resting in Genesis 1 or 2. It is not appropriate to inaugurate here in Genesis some rest for man yet. That's not happened. No rest for man is inaugurated here. No Sabbath is inaugurated yet. That's a really important distinction. Do you notice the omission, though, in this text? Notice the omission? I asked to kind of think, or I said I was going to come back to it, What's not there? Kurt? There's no evening and morning. There is no evening and morning. Why is there no evening and morning? Sometimes half the fun of interpreting the Bible is finding what's not there. right? Why is there no evening and morning? What component... Of the first six days that was there, and every single day was not there on the seventh day, there's no phrase, evening and morning. Why is that not there? Thought about it? Well, that's part of it, right? There's no creation there. When you see something there all the time, and then it's not, there has to be a reason. What was God endeavoring to say by not including that? This is a literal day in the sense that it's the end of day six. And I think I'd say that that is is part of it. I would go as far as to say that. What God is saying, though, I think that you're getting closer to what I'm saying. There are six literal days of creation. Those are literal 24-hour periods. But how well pleased was God, and by this reason, it does not say every uh, evening and morning because everything necessary was there for the happiness of Adam and Eve, Everything necessary was there. There was no death or decay. And by that reason, it doesn't say evening and morning because it didn't end. The the pleasing of God, the rest of God at this point, is not ending. He is pleased with this. It's not like he's absent his... It's not like at the end of this day that he stops being pleased with his perfect creation. At this point, this is perfect. Justin? Justin? So then, because of the Sabbath, we're going to talk about the Sabbath for a second. that yeah. then means the Sabbath was designed for us to get right so we can be purified? That's right. So that he can then be glorified. Yes, we're going to come back to that in a moment, but you're right, right. God's pleasing with his perfect creation ends when? Yeah. With the fall, right? Yeah. Rebecca? Well, I noticed he also didn't declare that it was good. Yeah, that's true. But he does yeah. declare something higher. He calls it holy. So there is is an elevation even above good here. But it doesn't say good, that's true. So on the seventh day of rest in Genesis, at this point, and this is really, really, really important for our understanding of scripture, has nothing to do with man. It has everything to do with God. There is no, what we would call, Sabbath rule until the Abrahamic Covenant. They are in, rather, in the Abrahamic covenant. There is no Sabbath rule in the Abrahamic covenant. The Sabbath rule does not come into existence until the Mosaic law. Now, why is that important for my Bible reading? That's what God makes it. <laughs> there are certain truths about God that are timeless regardless of dispensation. So this is Abrahamic covenant. This is God's glory seen in his rest, pre-Mosaic law. There are elements of the Mosaic law that we know Christ comes to fulfill, not to abolish, but to fulfill, to be put away that we would not live under the law. This is not law, is it? This is Abrahamic covenant. By the way, there's, This is kind of a fun exercise and we'll go ahead and chase this rabbit just for a moment on Wednesday night. But there are other things that are pre-Mosaic law. For example, the principle of tithing. Some would say, well, we don't live under the law, so we don't tithe. Did you know that the principle of tithing is Abrahamic covenant, not Mosaic law? It is, there are elements of tithing that are spelled out in Mosaic Law that we clearly don't follow, like, you know, not reaping the corners of your field and those kind of things. I don't know if any of you are in the business of doing that. If you are, you don't have, I'm just going to let you know, you don't have to do that anymore, right? <laughs> But there are Abrahamic covenant principles. We read about tithing even with the first children, although there was a misunderstanding even in some of the aspects of that. But there is still a clear understanding of tithing. We read that with Job, who existed prior to the Mosaic law. So tithing is not a law principle. It's an Abrahamic covenant principle. What am I understanding by that? Even as a dispensationalist, especially as a dispensationalist, I'm to understand by that that there are principles that God has garnered for our attention that transcend time. This is pre the Mosaic law. So this principle that we are now unearthing about rest is very, very important. That's why we spend a little bit more time on it. But again, God, so when you come to the seventh day, you are seeing everything related to God and and chiefly we're seeing God do two things. God ceased from work, and God delighted in what he made. So chiefly as he rests, he's not, just taking, a, he's not taking a nap. That's, that's the childish perspective that maybe I had and maybe some of you others had as well. That was my perspective for so long as a child. He's not taking a nap, but he's ceasing from work, and he's delighting in what he's made. That's the verb rest. But let's move forward, because there's another verb in this text that we've already considered, at least in part, and that is the word uh, blessed. And let's look at that word now. Let me uh, pick another color to make sure that we can stand out with that one as well. So the word rest, and that is God or God blessed, God blessed. And there are the, the words. We've already highlighted on them. God set aside this day, as a memorial, we could say. That's what the word rest is referring to. Really, you could say God set aside this day as a memorial, as a day of remembrance. And God was inaugurating a day as a reminder, a constant, ever-present reminder of God as creator. Now think about this for a moment, and I think this is really, really cool. Nobody, would divide 365 days in sets of seven. It doesn't work that way, does it, right? There's, well, that's why some months have 30s, some months have 31s, and then February, <laughs> which is its own thing, right? Why on earth would the whole world separate their weeks in sevens? The only reason is because God established that order in the order of creation. God has established this order in the order of creation so that, and this is why we have to ask, why do it in sevens? So that every time a seventh day passes by, we would do something. What are we doing? Every time a seventh day passes by, what are you doing? You're doing, you are acknowledging God the creator. That's what the seventh day is. To reject God as creator is to unbless the seventh day. That's why he calls this day holy. It's holy because this is now an amplification, even as Rebecca astutely noted already, This is an amplification of the good, good, good times, you know, six. Or, well, I guess I shouldn't, times, whatever. Okay, I should say all six of them, right? All those goods, now it's holy. This is a blessed, holy remembrance of the creator God. When when I look back at the blessing of the Sabbath in Genesis, again, I don't see any Mosaic law here. It's not what's going on don't see anything designed for man to do, except to remember that God did it all. Justin? Is it for us? us to acknowledge him on that seventh day, or is it for us to be available and purified so he can enjoy us? I think it's, a, I think it's more both, because in a moment we'll see, from Exodus 31 and Exodus 20, that they will tie in, in the Mosaic law, the principle, and there are principally things that the Mosaic Law gives, that a timeless God still remains true. And we'll see that in a moment. But chiefly, we are, if we're going to be like God, we should do what God does. And what God does on this day is he steps back, he looks back, he says, this is all good. And I think that's what we should learn from. But there is something we I I believe we can and should appropriate our lives by cuz you might say well applicationally what does that mean for me cuz I've got a week we all still have weeks <laughs> so what do I how do I make my week look out well remember every time the calendar flips right or the week flips by saturday gives testimony to God the creator that's that's what the 7th day is there for it gives testimony to God the creator what does sunday do Sunday gives testimony to God, our Redeemer, through the resurrection. So Saturday is God the creator, Sunday is God the Redeemer. In a moment I'll explain exactly why Sunday is that way. And Sunday hasn't hasn't replaced Saturday, and Sunday isn't the Sabbath, and I'll explain that in a moment. But Saturday is the perpetual witness that God finished creation. That's what Saturday is. Sunday is the perpetual witness that God finished redemption. That's what Sunday is. Now, Sadly, many in our culture don't care about either of them. <laughs> but I do find it interesting that even in our culture, I mean, in any culture, you'll find the same work week at least generally spelled out. You've got Monday through Friday, and then you've got your holiday. And That's where we get holiday from. Holy day, that's where that even comes from. But I think many of our culture don't really give much attention to this. And I think that's not good, but it's also evident of an unbelieving world. For those who believe in God as the creator, here's the point of what we're seeing here. No week should go by without a witness. None. No week should go by without a testimony, No week should go by without a holy day of praise to God for what he's done and just creating us. No week goes by without one day that points to God as our creator. And Saturday should operate on your calendar as a a highlight for you. If it's a possibility to remind you, God has worked it into your week for you to be reminded. When you get to Saturday, you can stop and say, Thank you, Lord, for the last six days you let me live on your earth. So how do you practically flesh out a seventh day in your own life? Well, you could do any number of things. Go out and enjoy God's creation <laughs> for one. I think that'd be pretty obvious, uh, low-hanging applicational fruit there. Uh, go play with your kids and grandkids. You know, that's that's another one. They're people too, right? Go be around your friends and enjoy the fellowship that God has given to you. That is all a part of recognizing your good God who created all things. And isn't it wonderful that no week goes by without a memorial to that? A a thankfulness, it's a thanksgiving in your heart. Now, why don't we come to church on Saturday? Because that's probably the next question a lot will ask, right? Say, well, there's, you know, we got all this. From from creation onward, by the way, the people of God worshipped on the seventh day. And they say this was a creation ordinance. And when they say it was a creation ordinance, what are they referring to? They're referring to this, right? After all, God himself established this. He worked six days. He called his image bearers to do the same. He rested on the seventh day. He called the seventh day holy later. Here's what we read in Exodus 31, verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. I want to just pause there for a moment and see if you can help exegete this together. It is a sign between me and the children of... Who is that? It's the church, obviously, right? No, right? It's Israel. Israel is Israel. We're going to be literal interpreters of the Bible. We are literal interpreters of the Bible always. Israel remains Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That's Exodus 31, verse 17. Now, after God brought his people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea... The Sabbath took on an even more significance as the covenant sign that God sanctify His people. On that day, the saints celebrated the reality that God created them and the rest of them were rooted in that rest. Exodus 28 and 11 repeats that. It says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all of them, and rest on the seventh day. Now, under this old covenant, this Mosaic law with Israel, the Sabbath day was extremely strict. Strict. For the Israelites. Do you remember some of the things that they had to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Couldn't do anything. <laughs> that was kind of a trick question, wasn't it? Now that I think about it, what, what were they had to do? Nothing, is exactly what you say. Uh, not only was no work to be done by the Israelites and their children, they also were to give rest to their entire households, meaning their servants and their livestock and their animals. So there is no rest whatsoever. More than that, there were seventh, seventh day or, or Sabbath principles when it came to their fields. Do you remember some of this as well? Now, now, good farmers, if they have an opportunity, as I understand it from my friend who's a pastor in Ohio and grew up in a big farming community, they still try to do this. They'll, they'll rotate their crops, and uh, often, in, in his father's case, he, he grows corn, And uh, when he's rotating his crops, he'll grow soybeans in that field where corn normally grew to try to uh, get the nutrients back into that field. And if opportunity allows, he'll actually grow nothing in that field to kind of get the get some of the nutrients back. So even there, science will tell us later that that's actually, not only is it a Sabbath principle and the rotations of their field and giving it off every seventh year, but it's apparently gonna help the crops grow later. Justin can give you all the ins and outs on a different time, but I'm sure that I've heard it from others. But God gave these regulatory laws and they're very, very strict. Now when Jesus rose from the dead the first day of the week, things changed. Christ, the second Adam, finished, John 19, verse 30 says, the work that the first Adam failed to do. And because of that pivotal event, the church determined that for Christians, under the new covenant, the day of worship and celebration of the Lord's grace in Jesus Christ was to be the first day of the week. Why do we come to worship on Sunday? Let me give you eight reasons why, (laughs) Eight reasons. I'm not going to write them all down on the screen. Sorry. (laughs) Let me give you eight reasons why. This is why we worship on Sunday, not Saturday. Number one, New Testament believers are not under the Mosaic law. The law for the Sabbath was Mosaic law. We know that from Exodus 31 and Exodus 17. New Testament church age believers are not under the Mosaic law. Here's three references you can jot down with that. Romans 6, verse 14, Galatians 3, 24 and 25, and Hebrews seven twelve. Why are we not under the Mosaic law? Because Christ fulfilled the law? Christ fulfilled the law, right? Number two, and maybe I could have started this with number one, because you would have guessed this one. Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week. and and I'm gonna keep this as number two, but he also appeared to some of his followers on the first day of a week. That was Matthew 28. So that's number two. When we we come together, in one very true sense, every Sunday is Easter, if you understand what I'm trying to come across, right? We, we, We don't have to relegate Easter songs to Easter season, and we don't at this church, because every Sunday is kind of Easter for us. So that's number two. Number three Jesus continued his appearances on succeeding Sundays. That was in John 20. We see on another Sunday as they're gathered together. So from the moment of his resurrection, almost immediately the weeks following, we see his disciples meeting on the first day of the week. And Jesus appears to some of them on the first day of the week and John makes a point in John 20 of telling us as they were meeting together. So this is already becoming a practice for the believers of Christ, number three. Number four, if if Jesus wasn't already enough for you, the Holy Spirit took place with his descent in Acts 2 on Sunday. So the Holy Spirit's now giving more credence to this gathered body who's now meeting on a Sunday. Do you see what's happening here? Number five, Because of all this, the early church was thus given the pattern of Sunday worship. This becomes their regular pattern. We read about this in Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, where they are meeting now on the first day of the week. When did this start? It started almost right away. I, I would even say right away. He's resurrected. He appears to them the next week on a Sunday, at least some of his followers. The Holy Spirit appears to them on a Sunday in Acts 2. From that point on, the church has already established this pattern, number five, of meeting on Sunday worship. Number six, Sunday worship was further hallowed when Jesus our Lord says to John in his great vision, Revelation 1, the Lord appears to John on the Lord's day, Revelation 1, verse 10. John is meeting, and he now calls the first week, day of the week, Revelation 1, verse 10, the Lord's day. That's pretty significant. Now, now we're calling Sunday the Lord's day. When we come together, we now actually have a name for this day. It's the Lord's day. Sunday is the Lord's day. Colossians 2, verse 16. Number seven, then. I'm just going to give you a reference for number seven. And the reference is Colossians 2, verse 16. Let me read the verse to you for number seven. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Colossians 2, verse 17. So this verse indicates, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, He's saying there's a distinction between the holy days of the Old Testament that are no longer binding upon the believers in the New Testament. You can understand for a a Jewish audience, this is a a tough sticking point because there are those that are saying, but we've always worshipped on Saturday. Why are we now worshipping on Sunday? And Paul says, let me repeat it again, Colossians 2 verse 16, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. We know that that was a battle for them right? You can have your bacon. just want to let you know that, okay? (laughs) Or with regard to religious festival. There was all kinds of those. Or a new moon celebration. We'll read about those as well. Or a Sabbath day. So even there he's saying, worship on Sunday. You're no longer binded by this. So from creation until Christ, the people of God Work six days, they rested on the seventh day, but in their rest, they were literally pausing, they were doing everything else, and this was a picture of their looking forward to eternal rest. The seventh day of creation was not structured with an evening and morning as the previous six days for that purpose, by the way. I should have mentioned that earlier. When it says evening and morning, it's not referenced here because this rest is looking forward, and actually, Laurie already noted it. This is looking forward to that eternal rest where we are going to worship God and enjoy him forever, more his enjoyment of that glory, which signified in the seventh day had no end, it's a foretaste of eternal, eternity itself. But on the other hand, from the work of Christ unto consummation, the people of God rest on the first day of the week, and worship God, rather, on the first day of the week, looking forward to the finished work of Christ. That's why the change. Now, does that change anything when it comes back to our Abrahamic covenant verse? Now, I've heard of pastors that they rearrange their schedule and they'll take a Monday off. And after studying this passage, I, I, I've practically never liked that because I feel like, um, I'm just talking to pastors now, but I, I feel like that's hard for me to minister to men in the church that don't have that schedule if I have a different schedule to them. I've always felt like I should have the same schedule as the men I minister as a church, and so that's what I have strive strived to do. But I've also now, as I study this passage, had a harder time understanding how that can quite jive with what we're seeing here in this passage. Saturday is meant to be, and as best we can, we should try to protect it. And not every workplace can do that. I'm reminded of my, uh, one of our youth staff members who worked as a prison guard in Indianapolis. And he used to tell me, hey, pastor, I'll, I'll be there on Sunday school sometimes, but sometimes at prison. And I had to tell him, sorry, you have to come. Prison's going to have to close for the day, right? <laughs> Obviously not, right? That's not how that works. That, I don't, that is not in, at all the intentionality that we're trying to communicate here. But there should be a heartbeat within us that says, you know, on I, I want to set aside a day of my week, <coughs> at least a portion of my week, to praise God for the goodness he has given me in just having life itself. I think there should be a, there should be a, 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 a rhyme to our schedule where that is a regular part of what we're doing. And I think we've... we've in an effort to say, see, we don't worship on the Sabbath anymore. And you're right, we don't. <laughs> I think as we work so hard to make that point, because there are cults like Seventh-day Adventists that do make that point, I think we work so hard, we've actually eliminated the real point of what Christ or God is trying to communicate. There is a, there is a pattern to our worship in our week that should be a pause to praise God just for life itself, just for creation itself. I think that's That's the right and and holy thing to do. Did that take away anything of our Sunday? Absolutely not. The gathered body of believers to celebrate the risen Lord should also be the highlight of our week, as it is, I know, for many of you. Discussion and questions as we close. Yes, Kristen. Yes, exactly, I've know. seen that. You probably bought you it from a... It, you probably bought it from a New York manufacturer. So <laughs> i uh, that, that is, well, I mean, it would be for practicing Jews to this day. They probably, I guess they would, I don't know. And then the fences, couldn't help to think about Yeah, fences, how they interesting. Food. I don't know if you heard that, but she mentioned they got a new oven, and it has a Sabbath day function on their oven. So I don't know if... Probably a Jewish company. Major. I Don't Don't accidentally turn that on. <laughs> when I You're really that. like you're helping <laughs> to put a, a roast in the oven or something and it just shuts off on you or something. <laughs> if you guys you'll know it. a Jewish my the same name as Samsung. Oh, is it? <coughs> Isn't that <laughs> Japanese? Yeah. Sam- Samsung? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> You do? On your refrigerator, a Sabbath puncture? Oh, interesting. <laughs> so if they're on the refrigerator, if the Sabbath button is pushed, the light does not come on. It, oh. So you can't be all that straight. <laughs> I was going to say, you'd have to be buying new condiments every week or something. I don't know how that would work out. Yeah. yeah, Yes. Mer- that has to work on Saturday. Yeah. Then must take another day of the week to rest. I, I think for for your health, you do need to rest. I think for your health, you know, it's not good for anybody. As any doctor would tell you if you burn both ends of the candle for seven days a week. Was it Japan or something? Rachel, remember, was it Japan? Sorry. <laughs> we were talking about it a while ago. But in Japan, I think they tried a six day work week once. You can look this up, you can Google it. And uh, people were just falling apart. Like, they just did not work well. Yeah. What's that? Napoleon? He tried to change Okay. And then have other days rest. Yeah, didn't work. Yeah, yeah. You 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 need rest. God created you. You aren't God, we'll put it that way. You do need rest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in Israel, the, uh, some of the high rises, the elevators uh, on Sabbath, were. Go floor to floor and open doors and close on their, on their own so people don't have to work back to the Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, wow. So there are still, that was in Israel, right? Wow. Yeah. interesting. Yeah, if you go to portions of, of New York City, there are high rises in New York City that do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Any others? Yes, yes. I can give you my list. I'll, I'll, I'll drop my list here to you. There's my list for you if you want to write those down. Yeah, no problem. Any other questions for before we depart? I think the major takeaway I want us to walk away with, though, in, in, in light of all of this, is, is there, there needs to be, and I think that's, that's a good exercise, we ought to be people of thanksgiving. And, and I think as humans, we, we are not naturally bent to say thank you. I think for that re- oh, we know for that reason, that God has worked into the very calendar of our week a time for us to be reminded to say thank you. And I, 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 I believe Saturday can be that for us. And, and we, should, we should be mindful of that. Yeah, Lori? Before the, before the fall, I, I would think that you would have been thankful. Sure. Because Yeah, well, we were born sinners from that point forward, weren't we? So we so when we get to heaven, when, when we're in our eternal home, mm-hmm. we probably will be thankful. Yes, yeah, yeah, we'll be, all of this sinful nature that we have will be wiped clean. Even Paul says, man, the things that I know I shouldn't do, I keep doing. The things I know I should do, those are the things I don't do. And so if you walk into the night or after tonight, night, you're like, man, I'm not doing a really good job at saying Thanksgiving. I probably should be better at it. Join Paul, which should be a little bit encouraging to you, because Paul's pretty high up there as far as I'm concerned. And uh, somehow we have a lot of growth to do, but God allows us to continue to grow. Yes, Rebecca? If I'm like taking all of this collectively, I don't think necessarily it's the point that Saturday has to be the day. No. Even you alluded to the fact that there's people who, their schedules, they work on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the point is to reserve a day. That's exactly right. At the end of whatever your work week looks like. That's exactly right. Yeah. You talked about, you said, I think you referenced Colossians. Yeah, Colossians um, 2.16. Is that verse exactly? Yeah, yeah. Not every not every working person's calendar is going to allow for that. But uh, for Saturday specifically. Uh, but there ought to be a time when we set aside a, a, a period of just Thanksgiving. And, and and that can be collectively with your family is also what I was trying to allude to. I, I, I think for for like for myself, you know, I'm a young father with children. I think just a just pause to enjoy my kids is a way of saying thank you to God for my children. And however else you you do that, Justin. I think the real one of the bigger points as well though is that we're missing. We're talking all about us. Yes, right. And the point is, is that we take ourselves outside of us mm-hmm. about how we can please God. Mm-hmm. You know, in Romans it says that we have the ability to to please our heavenly Father. Yep. Right. Yep. And so in this standpoint, we're looking at trying to please Him. Mm-hmm. We have our hearts right, yep. and because of what Christ has done, he sees yep. Christ not by sin. We can please yep. uh, the very Creator. Yep. And just take a second to think about that, and the rest of our life that is just pressed on all sides from every angle, and just remember that we can please the Lord by our lives. I think it's the mentality of us look at. Creation always pleases God, because it does what we created for. Yep. We don't. We don't do what we're created yep. for. So, it just brings that full circle back together. We can, can please the Lord. And what do we find in the Psalms that pleases God most? Are Psalms of thanksgiving. Right. And, just, and, and how often do we not do that? Right. Yeah. Well, all right. Good discussion this evening. Thank you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for the word we can study. And Lord, we see you. Inaugurating for us times of pause and reflection and thanksgiving, and may that be a reflection, uh, reflectional pause for us this evening as well, to be the kind of folks that take seriously uh, the communications that you have given to us in your Word and uh, and and apply it to our own lives. Lord, may we bring Psalms of thanksgiving to you, and.